Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and I am finally rejoined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, who is back from vacation. How are you today, Marv? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? How you doing today? Just living the dream, brother. Um, just needed a, a vacation. I feel refreshed, and I'm ready to give you guys some good insights. Good for you. So happy that you were able to take some time. We're even more happy that you're back. I know I speak for myself as well as our audience. They miss the marvelous Joey Thompson. want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. If you go ahead and visit that link, there is a special offer waiting for you as our audience. You will get a free month's trial complete with three Audible books. You'll get one book of your choice, any book that you can think of in the world. It's probably there. And you get a couple Audible originals. They are doing great with their original content. So don't delay. Go ahead and try it out. There's no obligation and you will not be sorry. If you like podcasts, you're really going to love Audible books if you have not tried them yet. Also want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter. That's where we post all the latest happenings and interact with all the other sports fans, sports observers in the world. You can find us at JM Sports Wrap Up, as in Jonathan Michael, and at Marv underscore wrap up. Let's start with our first quarter and talk a little bit of NBA MVP. As it stands now, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the consensus MVP, according to all the fanboys on Twitter and NBA writers. But uh, the last I checked, MVP stands for most valuable player, right? It's not the best player in the league. It's not the best and most interesting story, which Giannis may very well be. And it's not the best player on the best team. It stands for Most Valuable Player. The most valuable player in the NBA today is LeBron James. Now, for all you stat guys out there, top just blew off, your head's blowing a gasket. Let's talk about some stats, and let's talk about stats that matter. Giannis is averaging 29 points. 14 rebounds, and 6 assists in just 30 minutes. That is incredible. You want to talk about the best player in the league? Best player in the best team? Giannis has my vote. His player efficiency rating is 34.9. This is a combination of shooting percentage, scoring, rebounding. It's a complex math equation that basically says this is how good the player is. 34.9. For context, Michael Jordan's career PER was 27.9. Giannis is a whole seven points higher than Michael Jordan. LeBron is averaging 25 points a game, eight rebounds, and 10 assists. His PER is around 27. He's just over 27 on the PER scale. Giannis is beating him in points, beating him in rebounds. LeBron has him in assists. And Giannis is having the far better season as far as PER goes. But again, it's not the most efficient player. We're talking most valuable player. 
As I mentioned, Giannis plays 30 minutes a night. They do just fine without him. A game is 48 minutes. That means he's out for 18 minutes. This game is already done. They don't need him. They're just fine without him. How's that for valuable? The Bucks are 5-0 without Giannis, and their point differential is plus 16.8 in the games that Giannis has missed this season. In games when Giannis plays, the Bucs are plus 14.5 with Giannis in the game and plus 8 without him. So there's a significant difference, but they're still plus 8 without him. Now let's compare that to LeBron James with the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron, when he's on the floor, the Lakers are plus 8.4. Without him, minus 0.1. And for all those who you want to say, well, LeBron has Anthony Davis. The Lakers are 6-2 without Anthony Davis playing this season. There are a bunch of spare parts outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron. They added the other Morris brother, Markeith Morris, just like three days ago, and he plays significant minutes. Rajon Rondo, old Dwight Howard. I mean, seriously. LeBron James is carrying this team. The Lakers are first in the West. They're the better conference. The West has the better teams. Have you ever watched the games, the Lakers, they've been on multiple times this week? You see what happened when LeBron goes off the floor. The Lakers fall apart. LeBron comes back in, and they take the lead again. Even when AD is there on the floor without LeBron, it's a disaster. This team loses the lead quicker than you can think of it. I mean, look at what the Pelicans had. DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo. Really not much different than what AD is playing with with the Lakers, with Rondo and Morris, Avery Bradley. There, there really isn't much going on this team but LeBron and AD. And AD isn't the problem. He just can't carry and elevate the team the way that LeBron does, even though AD might be the better talent at this point in his career. AD didn't play on Sunday night. LeBron in the game, plus 22. Lakers without him against the Pelicans, minus 14. I'm not here to take away from Giannis Antetokounmpo. If you wanted the vote for the best player in the league, Giannis has my vote. If you wanted to vote for the best player on the best team in the league, Giannis has my vote. If you wanted the most outstanding player, it's easily Giannis. But that's not what we're voting on. We're voting on who brings the most value to their team. So if we're voting for most valuable player, LeBron clearly brings the most value, and it's not even close. Even if Giannis is the better player. LeBron certainly has my vote for most valuable player in the NBA. And might I add, it's not even close. Marv, I made my case for our listeners, but who is your NBA MVP at this point and why? Well, it's going to be the same guy I chose last year. But I mean, I love the way the Bucks are, are winning games. So my MVP so far is Giannis. I just love his intensity. I love the way he plays, plays hard. 
He leads by example. He's not the greatest shooter, but, I mean, the other night he put up, what, 40 points, 20 rebounds, was playing crazy defense, and he was making highlight after highlight. I mean, he won it uh, this past year, and I think he might win it back-to-back, honestly. I mean, I think the team is, what, 48 and, like, 8? They have, like, a really great uh, record, and... They're looking like the favorite in the East right now. Uh, I mean, things can change from here in, in playoff time. But so far, I like what Giannis is doing, and I think he's going to take home the MVP again. Yeah, Milwaukee is 52-9. and nine. They have the best record in the NBA. I'm not disputing any of that. My issue is that MVP stands for most valuable player. When Giannis is not on the floor... The Bucks are fine. They're 5 and 0 without him. They're in the weaker East. And when I'm looking at MVP, I think LeBron James because the day LeBron James walks out that door if he were to do so right now, I'm not even sure the Lakers make the playoffs, especially with Anthony Davis's fragility, his inability to always stay on the floor. That's been one of his biggest knocks. So Mark, I get it. I understand that you are voting for MVP as in more like most outstanding player. Giannis is the best player to me. Giannis is the most outstanding player. But do you think that there should be some sort of qualifier to outline for voters how to do this? Because it really gets confusing. To me, LeBron is MVP every year, always the most valuable player, but he's not always the most outstanding. Is there some sort of qualifiers the NBA should put on this so that we know as fans and as as voters what to do with this award? Well, Going back to what you mentioned, um, LeBron is the most valuable player to his team. I think he is, he's also the most important player, possibly in the NBA, on whichever team he is on, which I'll agree with you on that. You put LeBron on any team, that automatically become a playoff contender. Uh, you take him away, they automatically become a lottery team. So I think the NBA should do kind of like what the NFL does. Well, they'll have Offensive Player of the Year, which in the NBA's case could be, like you mentioned, Most Outstanding Player of the Year, and then have a MVP award, which would then be, you know, the most important player on in the NBA. And I think that, that if they did something like that and that sorts, it would make a lot more sense and it would help people distinguish, you know, who they want or who they think is the most important, most valuable player to their team and who is the most outstanding player, as who's the guy that, you know, shoots lights out, scores a lot of points, and, and brings all the fans, and it's the fans' vote. Kind of like, like I mentioned, the NFL does also Offensive Rookie of the Year. They do the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year, and they do Pepsi Offensive Rookie of the Year. So those, you know, I think the NBA should add more awards. That way it makes it easier for us fans and the media to be able to vote for the MVP and the most outstanding player. Diversity in awards. I like it. This is a great idea. We should get on the phone with the NBA and sell it because I look at the way that it was voted on before and it seemed to me like it shifted actually to the most outstanding player. And I'll give some examples. When James Harden won MVP, he scored the most points. He wasn't the most efficient, so that PER didn't really come into play as much. 
Chris Paul could arguably have been the best player, or not the best player, but the most valuable player to the team at the time. And then Russell Westbrook got all these phony triple doubles because his, there was on tape, his uh, big guys were getting out of the way so he could get rebounds. And it's like, he's valuable, but it really looked to me like most outstanding players. So some diversity and clarity could certainly help this debate. I'm not going to be mad if and when Giannis wins it. I just believe that LeBron should be in contention and get some serious consideration for the most valuable player. Let's shift into quarter number two, and I want to talk a little bit more about the Pelicans and the Lakers. Over the last week, we've had the opportunity to see the Pelicans and the Lakers face off a couple times, once on Monday, once again on the following Sunday. And these games were great. We got to see the old guard of the NBA, LeBron James, in his 17th season take on the new up-and-coming, quote-unquote, replacement, as if anyone can do that, for LeBron James and Zion Williamson, who I do believe is the future face of the league. It was a treat. Both performed up to the ticket. I mean, it was amazing. If you missed it, go check some highlights. But that's not really what I want to focus on in this segment Because the Lakers and the Pelicans will always be tied together in another way. And that is for the trade that they made for the Lakers to acquire Anthony Davis. Take a trip down memory lane. The Lakers gave up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three unprotected first-round picks. Two more to go. One this past season for Anthony Davis. Now, most of those will be in the 20s. The Lakers are going to be in title contention. And the Lakers, they hit a home run in this trade. Anthony Davis is going to stay in L.A. I have no doubt about that. He goes to Taco Tuesdays with LeBron. It's all about the chemistry. They seem to really get along on and off the basketball court. LeBron is a huge asset, the MVP of the league right now. But he is going to get older. And as that time comes, Anthony Davis is going to take the range to the franchise. And LeBron is happy to give him the range for the franchise right now. LeBron was happy to give up his number, which was blocked by Nike in the NBA because it was going to cost him too much. That may happen next season. LeBron, as soon as AD stepped in, he said, hey man, this is your team. Go ahead and run with it. But the Lakers, they're back in title contention. That's where the Lakers need to be. I'd say that's where they belong. It's good for the league. When a franchise and a team has been so spoiled that at one point just a few years ago, they had won 16 of 32 NBA Finals. When that's your standard, you better win, or else people in a large, distracted market with beautiful weather like L.A., they're busy. They're not interested in losing. So the Lakers got a big win in this trade. This was a rare situation where when we flipped to the other side, the New Orleans Pelicans, this was a win for them as well. A rare win-win created in this trade. The Pelicans have a handful of bright future young stars. Brandon Ingram, who struggled in L.A., is averaging 25 points per game, and he's shooting just under 40% from three. He's having a breakout season. 
He's an all-star. Now, some of you may speculate and say, wow, can't believe the Lakers gave him up, just like they gave up D'Angelo Russell. Seems like every time somebody leaves Los Angeles, they blossom. And that may be the case, but let's put this into context here. Ingram is a small-town kid from a very small town in rural North Carolina. He's been very public in saying that the bright lights just didn't work for him. He didn't feel comfortable in L.A. It just wasn't right place, right time. And L.A. is a franchise that requires stardom and championship contention at a minimum right away. There is no waiting time. There is no grace period. And very few young players can handle this. Outside of Kobe Bryant and Magic Johnson, nobody has handled it in L.A. You have to have a generational talent, something that most players don't have. It takes a lot to succeed in L.A. So this was a big win for both teams. Ingram works here. He didn't work in L.A. You add in some nice pieces, like Josh Hart, who can shoot. Lonzo Ball, who can't shoot, but he can distribute. They have a lot of shooters on the floor. They have a nice rookie out of Spain. Uh, Melly, the center, shooting 38% from three. The Rockets are teaching us that you can have a poor shooting guard from the three-point line if you have a center that can shoot or if you're playing small ball. The Rockets have had huge success thus far, 7-2. and two. little side note since that trade that we talked about on a previous podcast. But this seems to work for New Orleans. It's a low-pressure development city where guys like Ball, who was a number two pick, Lonzo Ball, Ingram, number two overall pick. Look, they just couldn't handle the bright lights. There's nothing wrong with that. Different people need different circumstances to succeed. If you tell a fish to climb the tree, we're not going to think it's a very good performer. They were a fish out of water, so to speak, in Los Angeles. These guys are grinders. They're there to put in the work. There's no doubt about it. But they were having a tough time. There were large expectations, the pressures, the lights of Staples Center. The, The Lakers franchise, they traded for Kareem. They traded for Shaq. They traded now for Anthony Davis. And they acquired LeBron in free agency. Only Magic, only Kobe were the homegrown stars. And those guys would have succeeded anywhere. They were special players and special in a new stratosphere. I think Ingram is a special player. I think Lonzo is a special player. And I think Hart is a role player who can shoot threes, which is very important in this league. And they got lucky enough to get Zion and they got two more picks on the way. So the Pelicans certainly have a bright future because of this trade. And the Lakers are back where they belong in title contention. It's good for the league. It's good for their fans. This is a rare situation where we can look back and look at an NBA trade and say, wow, this was truly a win-win. And we don't have to sell it to a fan base. They really are going to believe it. Let's take a stroll down memory lane, Marv, and we take a uh, step back and look at the Lakers and the Pelicans trade that they made over this past offseason. Who do you think got the better deal here? You know, I'm going to break it down like this. I think in the present time, 
the Lakers got the better end of the deal because they're seeing success right now. They're winning games that they're supposed to. And they're geared and suited up for the playoffs and a championship run. So I think so far, the Lakers have won that trade. But normally, these kind of trades take years to really determine who won it. So I would say in the long run, possibly the Pelicans won the trade. Because if they're able to continue to build from this trade, then eventually they'll have a playoff contending team. They already have some nice pieces with Zion. They got lucky in the ping pongs rolled their way and they were able to win the lottery and get Zion. Then, of course, with the Lakers trade, they were able to add Ingram and also Ball, who are both about 22 or 23 years old. They're both in about their second, I'm sorry, their third or fourth seasons. So they're they're really pretty young team. And it's going to take a while for it all to come together. Right now, they're making a, a little small push to see if they can get the eighth seed in the West, which is still possible. So I think right now it's a win-win for both teams, but the Lakers have the edge only because it's affecting their them in the win column uh, presently right now in the NBA. Yeah, my argument for a win-win was simply based on the notion that the Lakers need to compete right now. The Lakers are a brand based on winning and they live in a very distracted market a very uh, diverse population, and and you got to be winning, and you got to stay relevant and interesting. There's a lot of other interesting things going on in LA, and there's really nice weather, so you're not going to show up and pay hundreds of dollars for a game or pay any attention to the team if they're not winning. On the other hand, the Pelicans have set themselves up for the future. I want to shift to this on the Pelicans side. Brandon Ingram, I don't think that he would have worked maybe ever in L.A. The lights were just too bright for him. And I think somewhat of the same can be said for Lonzo Ball. It was a lot of pressure being an L.A. kid and L.A., the number two pick. He was overdrafted. Jason Tatum was better in his uh, draft class, a slot below him. That's a lot of pressure to live up to. How much credit do you give to their success being in New Orleans as opposed to L.A.? Well, I give it a lot of, um, I I think from playing in a big city like Los Angeles, as you mentioned, it is very distracting. It's hard to live up to the hype. Um, It's hard to carry the mantle that was once carried by guys like Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson. I mean, you're seeing these giants that have won championships before you. So I think their shadows were hovering over these guys as they were playing in Los Angeles, and that affected them. It really did. And I think them being um, in New Orleans, they don't have any any uh, major, uh, how I say, superstars or of the past or any anyone they have to basically outperform to make people per- forget that because, you know, the Lakers have a um, – They've had multiple championships, I believe it was, what, 16 or 15 championships they've won. And the Pelicans, let's be honest, they have never won. So they don't know what winning is. And so it's kind of like these guys get a clean slate in their careers and get to start all over again when they got traded to New Orleans. They get to build their own legacies and they don't have to worry about uh, living up to the hype of 
superstars of past Lakers. Uh, so I think it has a lot to do with their success right now, the trade. Uh, I really like it. Brandon Ingram is having a big year. Alonzo Ball is coming into his own. He's playing well with Zion. And, and I like what they're doing. If they can keep together that young core, that team will be pretty nice in the next year or two. I think that's a really great point that the burden of succeeding, being the heir to the throne, it's a lot. And when you're able to set up your own thing, your own legacy in New Orleans, which it's a football city. It's not a basketball city. I made the case that New Orleans should move to uh, Seattle. It's They're really not interested. They have Zion and they're still 24th in attendance. And maybe that'll shift. And maybe I'll be wrong and they'll create some huge basketball culture. But it, it's it's something new for them to build. And I really like that observation. And let us not forget, although we're both kind of declaring this a win-win, the Pelicans still have two more unprotected first-round picks. Those are going to be later first-round picks uh, this year and next, more than likely, because the Lakers are going to be in contention for a championship for the foreseeable future. But those are assets nonetheless. And that is very important for them. But I'm declaring a draw. This is a win-win. It's really good for basketball. It's really good for New Orleans. And it's really good for the Lakers. And that's a, a beautiful thing to see because too often teams just get hosed by superstars that want on a town. And this worked out really well for both. Let's shift into our third quarter and talk a little bit of NFL draft rumors. And the rumor mill. I heard a rumor over the weekend. It was a report that the Redskins and Ron Rivera said that he wanted to draft Tua Tugavaloa to replace Dwayne Haskins. Prompted me to dig into this a little bit further and found out with some journalistic work that this report is more than likely bogus. But it was an interesting topic of thought with the number two pick should the Washington Redskins draft potential franchise-changing quarterback to a tug of a low. On first thought, I said, yeah, I like that a lot. And then as I do sometimes, I I think back and and I sit and I look at the landscape of the league. And I don't like it that much anymore. I, I don't think that this is the right move right now. The Redskins are a mess. They need a lot more than a quarterback to succeed. And they're not going to be successful next year. So why not go out and get Chase Young with your number two draft pick? He is the surest thing, the highest ceiling. He's number one on anybody who is anybody's draft board, their mock draft board, their number one overall talent, positions aside. It's Chase Young. You pay quarterbacks a lot. You pay edge rushers a lot. He is somebody you could get on the squad for cheap. He won't cost a lot for the next four years, and you could have a potential Hall of Fame level pass rusher. That's what everyone's saying about Chase Young, and I tend to agree. 
And I know I've said on this show, it's all about the quarterback. And it is. More often than not, it is. But the flip side of that is you need the infrastructure. Let's look at the quarterbacks who are succeeding right now. The quarterbacks who are taking the league by storm. Patrick Mahomes, which drafted and waited a year to play because the infrastructure was in place and they didn't need to rush him. Lamar Jackson, same thing. Great franchise, great infrastructure. A less talented prospect in Dak Prescott has had a lot of success because of the infrastructure. I was reading a book the other day by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Outliers. It's the story of success. And one of the first analogy stories that he tells is a story of ice hockey in Canada, youth ice hockey. Gladwell tells the story of young people and how ice hockey is supposedly a meritocracy. It's based on merit. It's based on skill. And and, and that's largely the belief. That's what people believe. But when you break it down and dig a little bit deeper, you notice that everyone is born in the same month or a cluster of months. They're either born in January, February, or March. This is because the cutoff is January 1st. And when you start playing at four or five years old and you're born on January 2nd or January 3rd or even February or March, you're almost a whole year older biologically than everyone else. You get into the better league, which has more practices, more games, better coaching, and you have a significant advantage. It's not to say that certain kids aren't born more gifted than others, but it is an advantage. And I thought to myself, wow, that's a lot like these NFL quarterbacks. Tua Tugavaloa is very talented, as was Matthew and is Matthew Stafford, as is Jamarcus Russell, as is a lot of these guys that went number one, number two overall. But the talent isn't that much greater than the number 32 overall pick. There is a cluster here. These guys are given certain advantages when they go later in the draft that they aren't given when they're the teams that are, or they're with the franchise and the teams that are chaos. So, My philosophy is that you have to build up the infrastructure in this situation. The Washington Redskins franchise, their talent, old Adrian Peterson, Terry McLaurin, pretty good at wide receiver. You got an all-pro offensive lineman in uh, Trent Williams who will not play for you because you mishandled his situation, his very serious health situation with cancer. The Redskins need to build some culture and infrastructure before they worry about a quarterback. I look to the brilliance of what is now the Indianapolis Colts and their front office. They built an offensive line to protect a quarterback. Now, Andrew Luck unfortunately left them, but when they draft a quarterback, don't be surprised when that quarterback works. If the Raiders draft a quarterback, I won't be surprised if that quarterback works. They have the running game. They have the offensive line. And they have the salary cap to add weapons, wide receivers. They have an all-pro tight end in Darren Waller. So when those teams get a quarterback and they hit, don't be surprised that it works. It's not always about the talent. It's about, like Gladwell explained, it's the situation that they end up in. It's the extra advantage that they get. And the Redskins are not the place to take a quarterback right now. 
Ron Rivera is a coach that has had great success in this league. He is somebody who demands respect. And most importantly, more than winning a Super Bowl right now for the Redskins, is building a culture. And he can build that culture. You're not going to be very good this year anyways. So wait a minute. You're going to have Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have Justin Fields. There's going to be time. But these teams cannot continue to rush to get their quarterback when they don't have any supporting pieces to help them. Without a receivers, without lines, Tua Tagovailoa especially is prone to injury. If you can't keep him upright, you can't protect him, you can't help him get the ball out quickly, it's probably not going to end well for him. I, I like him. I think his situation not only depends upon injury, but it depends upon what surrounds him. He's been a great prospect, but he's been very comfortable his whole career. First day, shows up at Alabama, the dynasty. Let's get him a little bit more comfortable in the NFL and give him a chance to succeed in this league. And I don't think that opportunity lies in Washington. Marv, in football, in the NFL, we often believe when we're going into draft season that it is a meritocracy. The best, most talented players are going to be the best most talented players in the NFL. When I say they're the best, most talented, I mean the best, most talented players in college are also going to be the best, most talented players in the NFL. And that is really just not the case. For Patrick Mahomes to succeed at the level that he has so far, he found himself with a great franchise and great infrastructure. Same thing with Lamar Jackson so far. I don't think he would have had nearly the success that he's having right now if he ended up in Detroit or Cleveland. Looking at the top 10, because Tua Tugovaloa is going to end up in the top 10, and more than likely in the top five of those teams that are drafting in those slots or teams that could trade up to grab him, what is the most favorable situation that you could see Tua landing in in order to succeed for the uh, foreseeable future? I'm going to throw a curveball here. I like the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Just looking at the roster they have, they had a down year. And it's crazy because so much talent they had. And I think if they had a, a healthy Tua, they could just plug them right in and they will they will possibly even make the playoffs or or be in contention to at least get in as a sixth seed. It's uh it's not something out of this world. Uh just look at the Chargers roster. Phillip Rivers unfortunately was holding them back. He lost multiple games because of his turnovers, and the Chargers decided to move on. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Chargers made a big move. No one's talking about this, um, but they really need a quarterback. And they're planning to start Tyrod Taylor, which is, he's not a world beater, but that normally means they're going to go ahead and draft a guy, and once the guy's ready, he's going to take over. Same way Tyrod Taylor got bounced in Buffalo, same way he got bounced in Cleveland. Looks like the same thing is going to happen in Los Angeles. And I I, I, I see a dark horse in the uh, Chargers of uh, jumping the Dolphins. And possibly even, if I'm the Chargers, I throw everything at the Redskins and say, look here, we're going to offer you this year's first, next year's first, and throw in another couple picks here and there, get it done. I think the Chargers is the best opportunity for two of the succeed early on in his career. 
You bring up an interesting point as to why the Redskins may have put that story out there. Maybe they want somebody like the Chargers to make that move and come up and grab Tua because they're not interested. They move down a pick maybe uh, to number three so they could grab Chase Young. An interesting thought that came up there. I got a little pushback though for you, and I want to know what you think. I would feel more comfortable with Tua joining the Raiders or joining the who they'd have to trade up to do it, by the way. Same thing for the Colts, who sit at and near the top 10, respectively, for those two teams, while the Chargers sit at six. My concern with him going to the Chargers is the offensive line. And my number one concern with Tua is the injury uh, problems. He's had the two ankles. He's had now the hip. Don't you have concerns with the offensive line? Well, that is true. Now that you bring that point up, uh, uh, Los Angeles Chargers do lack on the offensive line. Um, I'm not too much of a fan of the Oakland Raiders, neither. They have similar holes to the Chargers. Um, the other fit you mentioned was, you said, the Raiders. And the, and the and Colts. And the Colts. Colts, actually, I never thought about that. That would actually, I mean, it would take a lot for them to get up, up from, I think, 13 all the way up to two, but hey, if they got the draft capital, get it done. I mean, if that's the missing piece, uh, go ahead and trade everything you got because they have the receivers. Uh, they have a really good offensive line they've built over the past two years in the draft. They've drafted a few pro bowlers, and their defense is underrated and fast. So they have the pieces to make a, you know, get a run going. I mean, we, most of the season, uh, we're, Surprise early on what the Colts were accomplishing before they fell apart after the midseason as teams started figuring out Jacoby Brissett. So uh, that's a really good – I didn't think about the Colts, but I, I'll, I'll give you a little pushback on the, on the Raiders. I, I wouldn't – I don't think the Raiders would be a great, great fit for him, but never know with John Gruden. He's like the QB whisperer, so who knows. Yeah, look at both teams. Raiders are at 12, Colts are at 13, and the reason why I like both of them is because they don't need a lot, like you were just outlining for our listener. They don't need a lot uh, to to move up and be in the top tier, even though neither of them had a very good record. I think 7-9, and 6-10, and 10, both teams, the Raiders were 7-9, and nine, the Colts were 6-10. and 10. But the Colts fell apart because they didn't have the quarterback, and like you said, Jacoby Brissett was figured out. But they have the line. They have T.Y. Hilton. They have decent running game, running back uh, with with Hines back there. The Raiders, and just going to give a little insight and a little pushback to your pushback, they got a all-pro tight end, all-pro caliber in um, Waller, who had nine touchdowns. He was a freak. They have Tyrell Williams. They have space and time uh, on their side in terms of adding wide receivers in free agency. And you have John Gruden, like you said. So I thought that was a good fit. And I don't think the Chargers are a bad fit. My number one concern, as I said with Tua, can't get hit, can't get injured. When I invest that much in you, especially if I'm trading up, I don't want you to get touched. And some of these teams, like maybe the Chargers and I say the Redskins, they need to build their infrastructure up because these quarterbacks, it's not just on merit. It's not just a meritocracy in the NFL. 
They need help. They need lines at the beginning of their career and they need weapons at the beginning of their career. And then especially at the end of their career, like Tom Brady, again, it's kind of like you need help at the beginning. You become your own man in the middle if you're really a very talented person at the position. And then you need help at the end when your skills start to deteriorate again. All are good fits. It'll be very interesting to see where it goes in the NFL draft. A lot more coverage on that to come. But let's shift into our fourth quarter, quick hitters, getting the news out to the people. We got a handful of topics, NFL, NBA. We're going all over the leagues. Here we go. (laughs) Reports out of Chicago that the Bears are looking at perhaps replacing Trubisky or at least giving him competition from a veteran backup. Lots of talk about Andy Dalton trading for him. Or Nick Foles, a little bit less talk about that one. But Marv, what do you think here? What do the Bears need to do? I think I like what the reports are saying. I think the Bears should go ahead and and make a trade for one of these uh, veterans. Bring them in. I think the best fit that you mentioned, I didn't think about it, was Nick is Nick Foles. I think it would be better to push Trubisky than have Andy Dalton. Dalton is, uh, he's he's average. I think Foles pushes quarterbacks. That's what happened in Philadelphia, where he he pushed once to become you know a really good quarterback, and once learned a lot after Foles left. Um, I think Foles would be great as uh, a a veteran quarterback that gets added to Chicago, and that would be enough. He he never know. Maybe Foles may take over. I mean, he's run that system before in the past, so he would be a perfect fit. And I think Trubisky, this is it for Trubisky. It's either you show up or you put up or shut up, pretty much. And and I like the idea of the Bears adding competition. You can't keep giving these young guys uh, pretty much all the keys to the city and say, here you go. And let, you know, they're basically saying you can go ahead and crash and burn and had no consequences. Well, it's not like that in the NFL. If you want to win, you got to have these guys competing every day for their positions. And even Tom Brady every day uh, has to compete because the Patriots keep adding quarterbacks every year, and Tom Brady always beats them out. That's that's the true um, – that's the heart of a, a champion right there. And I think that's that will be a great thing for the Bears to go ahead and do and bring competition for Trubisky this offseason. When I hear reports about the Bears giving up draft capital to gain a middle-of-the-road quarterback at best in Andy Dalton, don't like it for them at all. Because I made a, you know, I made a joke I saw on NBC Sports Chicago, which one would you rather have, Trubisky or Andy Dalton? It's like arguing which one's faster, a tortoise <laughs> or a snail. It doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere with either one. But with the Nick Foles trade, you could get a pot sweetener, maybe a second or third round pick back to you for taking on his $22 million salary hit. Plus, they might pay some of it for you. That would be very big for the Bears, who Ryan Pace has mortgaged the future on a losing bet in Trubisky, giving up 13 picks in return for five, betting the house that we can win now, and his team cannot. But I want to throw another one out there for our audience. Jameis Winston is supposedly not returning to Tampa. He will cost you nothing in uh, draft compensation, any picks or anything like that. 
And you could probably get him for about $25 million. Andy Dalton sits at $18 million. Foles at 22. So why not? He's free. He's the most talented. He, I could argue he's the only quarterback with the talent to be a Super Bowl quarterback. The decision making, not really, but roll the dice. Maybe a, a brilliant offensive coach like Matt Nagy could get it done. Again, doubtful because uh, Bruce Arians is a brilliant offensive coach and that didn't work. But maybe he just needs a change of scenery and is back against the wall and the humility of being a backup to start the season. That could mean something. So let's keep an eye on that in Chicago. On to the next. Marv, you had a chance to look at the combine. What was the most impressive feat that you saw? Most athletic, fastest, best lifting. What impressed you the most? What impressed me the most was uh, the running back out of Wisconsin. I believe his name is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, that that guy was amazing. I didn't expect him to run as fast as he did. He ran a four three, a four three eight, if I'm not mistaken. That was the fastest for all running backs. Then there was another running back out of, um, I believe he went to school. I forget which school he goes to. I think his name is AJ Dillon. Guy's about six foot, two hundred forty five pounds. He ran a four five. I was in awe. I was like, is that guy a fullback? I don't know. I looked him up. That boy is a running back, and he's a big boy that can run. And he just made himself a lot of money by running a 4-5 in the 40. And a lot of teams are looking for, you know, bell cow type backs, big backs that can run. So those two were the mo the ones that grabbed my attention the most. I was really excited to to see that because I was pleasantly surprised by how fast these two these two big backs were in the 40. I would have to agree with you on Jonathan Taylor, how impressive that was. He ran a sub 4-4, which I did not expect. I'm very familiar with the program. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. His only issue is he does fumble too often. And that's just really coaching and focusing on it as a professional all the time. He'll be able to hold on to the ball. He's gotten better as the years have gone on. What I was most impressed by, though, was Henry Ruggs running a 4-2-8. That's ridiculous. Uh, just missed the record. I don't want to hear about the Joe Burrow had so much talent and weapons around him. So did Tua. That's kind of a moot point to me. But Henry Ruggs, I was not expecting him to run that fast. He'll be somewhere in the late first, early second. But he will be a burner if he ends up on the right team. Let's say maybe the Patriots bring back Brady, add him. And then add a free agent, like or, or make a trade, I should say. Stephon Diggs is not a free agent. They'd have to trade for him. That would be something uh, of a reboot for the Patriots. More trade talk, Marv. OBJ. Browns are willing to listen. Is he going to be on the move? I think for the right price, it can happen. Uh, the Browns have a new regime. So they're basically not married to any of the players they're inheriting in Cleveland. So if the right team calls, I'm sure if the price is right, OBJ may be on the move. And I'm sure he would love to go play on a team that has is pass happy because obviously his numbers were down. And let's be honest, OBJ wants to get paid. And he's wants he believes he's the best receiver in the league. And he keeps seeing all these guys get paid. He's going to want more money 
So he's going to want to perform. And in Cleveland, I don't think he's going to be able to perform up to what he's used to performing like he did in, in New York. So I, I think OBJ will be traded sooner rather than later. Yeah. Look, Cleveland should really look at accepting a first-round pick for him, which I do believe they can get. Like you said, they're going to be a running team. Stefanski is a run-first guy. I don't see a lot of happiness and bliss in Cleveland with Odell Beckham, who just wants the ball all the time. And rightfully so, he's an all-time talent at wide receiver. He needs to get on a team that's more pass-happy. The Packers have the 30th pick. They could give you that. You could draft an offensive lineman to protect your quarterback. I will say this. I do not think that the trade is as sure as it should have been under the old management. The simple reason for that is if Baker Mayfield fails, who cares? He's not my guy if I'm the new general manager or the new coach. I'd actually be looking for reasons to get rid of him. So I I thought the way to save Baker Mayfield was actually to trade Odell Beckham and get linemen in there and limit the headache that can be OBJ if he's unhappy. But I don't see that being the same dynamic there. So they might just, in fact, hold on to him and see how it plays out because he's a nice, shiny toy that they'd like to play with, I'm sure, as uh, the new coaching regime and the general manager comes in. Let's shift over to the NBA for a minute. The Heat beat your boy Giannis and the Bucks up pretty good last night. Uh, they locked him down. He had 14 points. Should we start taking Miami seriously coming out of the East? This team is now, uh, let me look at the number. It is, uh, nine and one against Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Indiana. Sorry for the delay to our audience, but they are running the East in the regular season. Should we take them seriously to make the finals? I still don't, I'm still not a firm believer in the Miami Heat. Reason being is I've seen them lose to some pretty bad teams. And then they go out and beat the best of them. So they they pretty much play up to their competition. But in the playoffs, that's a different animal. You can't, can't keep, you know, playing up and down. You got to be consistent. And I think the Heat, they're a really good team. They're really well constructed. They're well coached. They play excellent defense. And I think that's how they were able to stop the Bucks and Giannis because they play great defense. They match up well with them. They have guys that can match up with them. Uh, the only problem I have with the Miami Heat is scoring. They don't, I don't think they have enough scorers on the team or at least consistent shooters for them to beat these teams coming out of the East as in Boston and, um, and Milwaukee consistently because those two teams can shoot. And I think Miami is more of a, a defensive team that can score, but the, you know, it, it's on any given night they can play really bad or they can play really good. So I don't think they're a major threat in the East. I just think they're a good, possibly uh, regular season team. But I'll have to see the jury still out on them for me. Um, we'll have to see how they perform come playoff time. Here's my ranking of the East right now. It is Boston is number one. I think Boston is coming out of the East. And I think Miami and Milwaukee are great challengers for them. I think Miami is missing a piece. They need one more piece. 
And Milwaukee is built for the regular season. They win based on just throwing countless bodies at you. They have a rotation that goes 10 to 12 deep. They have a lot of talent on that team. In the playoffs, when the bench is shortened up and you need to rely on your stars, Boston is going to clamp Giannis, just like Miami did, but they have more talent. They have Jalen Brown. They have Jason Tatum. They have Marcus Smart. They have endless defense at the wing position, and they are just going to be able to throw body after body at him, and it's not going to go well for Milwaukee. Milwaukee is going to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games to Boston. There you have it, folks. That's my prediction for the playoffs. But before we go, we have one more topic. The first big trade in the NFL as we approach uh, the draft season and free agency. We only got two more weeks to go until free agency, folks. So hang in there. It's coming up. It's exciting. A.J. Bouye, the star corner out of Jacksonville, is on his way to your Denver Broncos for only a fourth-round pick. How big a deal is this for the Broncos? I actually was really excited when I saw the notification pop up on my phone. Uh, reason being is the Broncos are potentially going to lose their star cornerback, Chris Harris Jr. He's looking to make north of $15 million or more per season. Uh, the Broncos don't want to pay that for an aging cornerback. He's about to be 32 years old. Uh, AJ Bowie is 28. He's only getting paid 13 million this year and 13 million next year. And all they had to give up was a fourth round pick for a pretty solid corner that's been through the Pro Bowl multiple times and is three years younger than the guy they're about to let go. Hmm. I like the trade. <laughs> yeah, it's a great trade. The Broncos should be in win now mode. They do have a quarterback in Jake Locke. I can't say that he's a great quarterback, but I'm optimistic about him. So, Go all in. Trade a fourth-round pick to get a star corner if you can afford them. They should keep making moves. Uh, they're over under, what is eight games, Marv? Is it eight, eight and a half? Currently, it stands at eight, eight games. games. I'd take the over. I don't like overs because of injury, but let's pretend we live in a perfect world. Your quarterback doesn't get injured, and there's no uh, Von Miller missing for a long time. This is a team that should win nine or ten games. I know they're in a tough division, but they have the defense. And if they have a quarterback, it's going to be looking very good for the Broncos this season. So I know Marv's excited. Yes, sir. That is the end of our show, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you follow this long, please do not hesitate to leave us a review. Hope it's a good one. It helps our show grow. It helps us get exposure and just uh, gets the show out to people. We like to bring a no-nonsense uh, thinking man show. So you kind of got to think outside of the box scores and 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 kind of break down what makes the game and how it relates to your everyday life. We hope we do a good job of that. Please let us know about it. And if we don't, let us know about it as well. Uh, Marv, thank you again for joining me. Glad to have you back after vacation. Do you have anything left for the people? Hey, people, I'm happy to be back. I did miss you guys. Uh, I'm back with more knowledge to spread and can't wait for the uh, free agency period to start so we can have a little bit more material to give you guys as the rumors pop up we'll constantly continue to update you guys keep following us on social media as we interact with all our fans and also share our insights and information and our opinions on what we have what we think regarding specific trades and signings as they happen so thank you guys for continuing to follow us and we appreciate you. Yes, free agency is in two weeks. We'll be talking Dak Prescott. We'll be talking Tom Brady and everything else that you can imagine that happens 
during these next couple of weeks. Got the draft coming up, a lot of NBA kicking in a high gear. So there's a lot of really good news coming, folks, and we're really excited to be bringing it to you and talking about it. So we will uh, talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Later, people.